Welcome to Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make the Elm City tick. And nothing ticks better than Pundit Friday, which we're about to begin here in the WNHH studio. We have the number one pundits in the media universe. Marquisha Ricks is out of town at a homecoming in North Carolina. We wish her the best. I'm sitting on her seat today, Marquisha. (laughs) She's sitting on her seat. We got pundits like... The Queen of Quivery and Quintessence of Compassion, Lavosa Spana, publisher Norma Rodriguez Reyes. Oh, we have the dairy free goddess of our grassroots radio operation, the bell of our ball, Babs Rolls Ivy. Hey, love Babs. And <laughs> nice city. to be back. Love to be back. Yeah, long time. WNHA station manager and heavy D, Donald Trump devotee, Harry Jones, <laughs> the bravest man in New Haven. The overweight yeah. lovers in the house. <laughs> <laughs> hey, overweight is a re- that's a relative term, my friend. <laughs> I know. What's What's the what's the nice word for overweight? It's like teddy bear. Differently sized. Yeah, differently sized. Alternative size. And we have See, one why don't we just here. stick to the real overweight? You know, I have no problems with that. <laughs> and we also have the straight shooter from Bermuda. Oh. The, mystical, the mystical and metaphorical man on the money. The tackler of tempestuousness and titan of temperance. The banisher of Billy is bullies. The sentinel of serenity, sincerity, and salvation. The poobah of unparalleled political passion and perspicacity. Yeah. The righteous reaper of restitution. <laughs> oh, the griot God. of the grassy knoll. Yeah. The conquistador of cussing criminals. The keeper of the cure. <laughs> Weaver of wellness and wisdom. The mellifluous meritocratic miner of melody. The yeah. plow driver of peace. Mm-hmm. The blistering barbecue of brain dead bozos. Yeah. Our executioner of existential enemies, the alchemist of acidness and alliteration. That sounds The great. bodhisattva of battle rap. Ooh. The recognized ringleader of risque repartee. Okay. The West Indian whisperer of want. The sultan of spit. The daring don of dope deliberation. Maximum mixologist Joe Ugly. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, I want to do that in Spanish in someday. Morning. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. That would be really fun. In the meantime, folks, there's an election today in the Haven. Oh, is yes, there? Yes, there is. You know, there was an election in New Haven today. No, I didn't know that. <laughs> I did not. One of the municipal unions in New Haven has been rent oh, by okay. factional infighting. Oh, that's right. Local 3144 of AFSCME. That's oh. the union that represents management and professional unions. Mm-hmm. So it includes like secretaries as well as sort of deputy department heads and everything in between, supervisors, people like that. Uh, I think they're close to 400 members. And they've been on the front lines of a lot of controversies in New Haven. And it's a... There's a whole slate going against um, the slate led by Sherilyn Poindexter, who's run the union for the last eight years. Mm-hmm. Who's a very passionate and informed leader of that union. Is is at odds a lot with the Harp administration. Tony Harp, the mayor of New Haven, used to work for the city back in the '70s and helped found that union. Now they're at war. Sherilyn Poindexter argues that Tony Harp's administration is trying to break her union. They have a, a petition to state to remove some people from the union because they say their positions don't belong there that they manage other people in the union. Uh, she says, and then and, and Tony Harp at the mayoral debate for the primary was arguing with the challenger. Marcus Pax used to be a labor relations director about which of them was responsible for that petition. But separate from that, mm. what's really interesting to me about this um, election today is not the factional infighting. There's a real issue for the members to decide, which mm. is so the challengers say it's not a democratic union. They say their interests aren't looked for just a bunch of insiders and they disagree with some of the stands the union takes, like defending the guy they assigned to go help an employee steal a lot of health data. Remember the 500 people with STDs and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff? The, but then people who, so there's that factual infighting about whether or not 
there's the democracy. And that's really, we have no way of knowing the pros and cons of that, about whether information is shared with the members and whether everyone gets represented or it's a closed group. But there's a second issue with this that I think is interesting because I think there are two sides to it. And I think there are two legitimate sides to this argument. It's about the labor union in America and especially government labor unions. Labor has been on the ropes and there's been a need for strong leadership in unions to represent workers at a time when workers nationally are, especially in the private sector, are not getting represented by unions. They're still representing the public sector. Sometimes public sector unions get criticized for looking out for narrow self-interest that isn't good for the larger body. But on the other hand, people think municipal labor unions are our last readout of representation for working people. And uh, in the case of this union, the challengers are saying you don't always have to fight. Sometimes you have to fight when there's a real fight. And sometimes if you're wrong, you don't have to fight. And sometimes you have to listen and compromise better. And so that's what the that's what the challengers are saying. They're saying, for instance, we didn't have to get there with this fight over petitioning and decertifying people because they felt there were some re reasonable demands made at first, which is that deputy department heads, once the current ones retire, should be removed from the union, whereas the union leaders say we should keep every man we got because we fought for that and it's working fine. They felt that they should not have assigned a union member to a comp company the person the health department who's getting fired and carting away 500 people's private health information they feel like there's too much screaming and fighting but on the other side of people are saying you got to fight so the first group the challengers are saying you also we work for the city and there's a public interest we have to work together to common solutions we represent our people look out for our interest but also understand the public interest and the other side says it's like similar argument to having a defense lawyer who does everything to to represent you is that you're elected by the members to fight for them no matter what, and that every side needs someone fighting for them, that the people in New Haven elected a mayor, and that's who's representing them and her administration, and that the members of a union elect their president to fight for them and give it everything they got. Because no one doubts that the incumbent Sherilyn fight, Poindexter fights hard for her members. She knows the rules. And then on the ground, there's been arguing about whether What's that being put used to? But do you folks have any weighing in on that? Because it's really a question of what American labor needs. Well, here, it, it, I, no question about that. I, you know, we need organized labor. Organized labor has has uh, has given us safety and a work week that we can. I mean, we, pensions, just all kinds of good yeah. things. But but that but I don't think that's the issue here. Who has the most support here? Which side has the better support? I think it's pretty close. There have been these, these factions have been fighting every two years with different individuals running. It was a seven vote margin. Four years ago, they canceled the election because the president was found to have illegally used her work computer to campaign. So they reheld it and then she held on by like eight votes or 10 votes. Last time, it, I think it was seven votes. It's a pretty closely divided union. And as I was saying, I think that's separate from the personalities, separate from legitimate issues of union democracy that we really have no way of knowing about because we're not in the room. There is this real issue about what does it mean to fight for and represent your workers. And some people feel like American labor hurts itself by not being reasonable contributors to solution, fighting hard, but also listening to the other side and doing stuff that doesn't bankrupt the city, let's say, or prevent them from making good decisions. But then the first side says, you know what, that's often used as an excuse by management to do whatever it wants and that it's so important. The Shirley Poindexter, I know this, feels in her gut. It is so important to make them stick to the rules because if they don't stick to the rules, they take advantage of you, and the rules are there for a reason. I, mean, I just think we're in this age where people need to be reminded of the gains, because I think people have forgotten the the hard fought gains, and so they're operating from a place that as if how we are is how we've always been, and so there's some taking for granted all these things that we enjoy, 
And people just show up like, oh, well, you know, this is how. No, 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 no. People fought hard for these gains. And we have to remind people uh, of why organized labor exists. So how does that fit in today's election with Ask Me Local 3144? <laughs> I mean, they. I mean, they. They like everybody else has to be reminded of what it was like before they showed up, before they had organized labor. So before, would that be an argument for keeping the current leadership and the more kind of combative I don't, I'm approach? Not necessarily. Not necessarily keeping the current leadership if the if the if the if the uh, the other person running um, says that, and in addition to that, this is what I bring too, right? But they're really talking about different approaches, Babs. They're both saying how should it, they're both disagreeing about. What approach? I think it's a legitimate argument. Organized laborers take. They're both saying you should represent your members first and foremost and know the rules. But one That's side the same. is saying, but most saying is that you got to fight with everything on every front because they're just trying to take advantage and bury us. And the other side is saying we got to work together to find common solutions well, and you know be more open what, to each other at each step. What I have to say about that is I think <clears throat> we have to be more open to each other and work as, you, you know, a great compromise. I always say. The best compromise is when both parties walk away feeling like they lost something. To me, that's when it's the best compromise. By the way, they haven't had a contract for two years. So they're working without a contract. So the first side, the incumbents say that's because the administration is unreasonable. Mm -hmm. The challenges are saying that's not true. They feel the union hasn't been, leadership hasn't been reasonable. So that's another. Right. So, you know, this is what, this is what's going on across our country. And it's not just in. Uh, labor unions, this goes on to our, look at our national politics, the exact same thing. No one wants to give any. Everybody wants, it's like, it's like a team sport. Everybody wants everything or nothing. But what do you think is happening it, on the ground here? Which, cause it, that's being said about both sides. Talking, Which side is right? I think that the, the group that wants to be able to work with, with both sides, they want to be able to give some and represent their, their, their uh, constituents as well as work with uh, management. I think that's how you get things done. Now, the you first side, the incumbents say that the, that the administration hasn't been open to that. They filed some complaints that have been upheld, saying they weren't dealt with reasonably. Well, just because you have to push back, don't mean that you should not work with the other group. I think, right? See, that's I'm with you, Joe. It's always this all or nothing. All or nothing. It doesn't have to be. Sometimes you're gonna to have to fight. Exactly. Sometimes you're gonna to have to negotiate. Sometimes you're going to have to always have some diplomacy. Thank you. But it's not all or nothing. It can't be all, all or, or nothing. nothing. Oh, we're just gonna fight. We just it's, we're just gonna always be fighting. No. That's sometimes how nothing you're gonna fight. Done. Sometimes you're gonna to have to negotiate. Right. Sometimes you're gonna to have to and compromise and concede. People are passionate about this, and they're taking your point up. And some of our list- readers say. That's used as an excuse, that reasonable idea that sometimes you fight, sometimes you don't, is used as an excuse to fold. And no, that the challenges no, want to fold. No, but that's the misunderstanding of negotiation. That is the pure misunderstanding of negotiation because you understand in a true negotiation, you must be able to say, okay, I'm going to give you something, but this is what I want. Right. That's a negotiation. But how do we get to... That's not folding. How do we get to folding, though? I know. That's the all or nothing mentality. I don't like the all or nothing well, mentality. See, I think this. I take a different um, <laughs> approach with what's happening in New Haven because the unions feel like like their stepchild here in New Haven. Now, personally, Sherilyn and Harold, I kind of I'm on their side, mm-hmm. you know, because they work hard, you know, to support the the people within their union mm-hmm. you know if if it wasn't for them a lot of the 
people who get laid off and stuff mm-hmm. will be left behind unemployed, mm-hmm. right? And they work hard to get these people jobs. Okay. Now, fighting, that's just part of the process. I agree. And people need to accept that. It's part of the process. Yeah. It's part of the process. You know? yeah. and, so and, the argument on the other side, uh, Harry, and I think that's a good point needs to be brought out. Because I do think it's a, I think this isn't about bad motives. I think mm-hmm. Shirley Poindexter is a fighter. And whether you agree with her or not agree with her, she works very hard her job, her work the way up. And even people have to admit, if they don't like what she's doing, that she does it well. Were you supposed but, to do a full disclosure? I'm done. No, let's not bring that oh. family. Okay. No, but no. Uh, but uh, but the the question becomes, like, whether you're holding up the city. For instance, there's once an assisting on, on whether you could hire Grant Ryder temporarily for the police department for two months when they're in between because they had some grants at stake. And her answer back is, if you want to do that, follow rules every time. We have to keep after you to follow the rules, which I think is a fair argument. And the argument back is sometimes you got to work with us for flexibility. We're not taking anything away from you because there's a public interest at stake, which I think is also fair. That's why I think there actually is a very good public policy debate going on in this election today but about it, the state it, of labor. And I, and I hear that. And I, as someone who I've, I've worked on grants, mm-hmm. uh, I, I get that sometimes you need the flexibility, but I also know... That if you give a mouse a cookie, they're gonna want some milk. That's the position. That's the position of. That's the position of the incumbent slate. Right. So, I mean, you, but you have to. But you can. But but even with that, you know that, and so you have to sort of decide. You know when how much when milk? the mouse yes when the mouse wants to cookie how much milk you gonna get the how mouse I know so I think people who are very pro labor when they go into management their view changes because they want the more free they want freedom to do what they want without the rules right. And they have a different perspective. So a lot of people in management feel that the rules are actually stacked against management and government. They feel like if someone's doing a bad job, it's almost impossible to fire them. Like they even got all this fighting about whether the the union guy who accompanied a woman into her office after she'd been fired snuck with her in a locked door and hushed so they wouldn't be discovered. And then it helped her carry out computer disks, 500 people's names of of like their private health information. Yeah, yeah. And they fought to protect that. So the challenge slate says... That's not giving mouse a cookie. That's covering up unethical behavior that isn't good for the public. It helps none of us. The mm-hmm. union comes back saying they ha- if they want to deal with something like this, they have to follow rules because otherwise they can capriciously use it any time. Well, well, you see, it's the union's job to fight and defend. It's the employer's job to prove that something was done wrong. So saying that the union is defending somebody who did something wrong, that's their job. But in that case, they actually dispatched the person to accompany the woman who wasn't even a union member. They were videotaped carting the stuff out of the building. It was sort of like the scene, it was a scene of a crime. Well, People yeah, got arrested right, for this, Harry. Right. So, See, that, that's, a, that's a different issue, but you're saying they dispatched. Well, they defended that, though. Well, of course, they're going to defend the No, they didn't they defend. defend. The vice president said to a union member, please accompany this woman to well, her office. we know that for a fact. Yes. Or it's just hearsay. Police report, arrest. No, no. Quoted the person admitting they did that. And then it was on video camera. Okay. So someone <laughs> yeah, but, but, so, yeah. so, <laughs> committed yeah, a crime. Yeah, yeah, Look, I can't say nothing about that. Right. And, and this is where the No, thing, but there is another side to that. No, the no, union no, came no. back saying what Harry just said, that even if that's the case, but that's the you have problem. to follow rules not, of evidence no, no, no. and defend them to the hilt. No, but that's the problem right there. That's what dilutes the, the union credibility to the, eye, to the credibility to the eye of the public. And then you're looking for public support. So, you know, if you're going to do things like that, you're going to defend. Look, defend law, defense lawyers get this, this same pushback from the public. 
If you're going to keep defending criminals over and over and over, and you know doggone well they did something wrong, after a while, guess what? You look at that. But then other people say it's so important still. We believe in a defense where you have to prove You still got to believe in a defense. Nobody said no, but it's like... uh, but for union, you could pick and choose. You know, it's interesting. We're having this conversation about the larger issues about this union race. I think, in truth, on the ground today, it's not going to come down to larger issues. It's going to come down to which group feels they're the in, which group feels the other one's being excluded, and whether you can convince another enough of your fellow members that your version is correct. So mm-hmm. while there are big issues at stake, I, I, it's like a lot of elections. I think it won't come down necessarily the big issues, although they're relevant. It's going to come down to are the Challengers right that the union leadership just protects their own and not everybody else that is making you know shutting them out not being democratic or is the present leadership right that they're doing a great job fighting for everybody and taking that tough fight that needs to happen so I mean it'd be interesting to, to stay tuned yeah I mean I'll see we'll see how it shakes out and you are tuned to Pundit Friday <laughs> WNHH <laughs> FM your home for community radio at one hundred three point five FM it shakes out everything live <laughs> another tough uh, I think public policy question involves the apt Foundation, Methadone Clinic oh. on Congress Ave. Oh. Now, the App Foundation is recognized for doing cutting-edge work with addicts. Yep. And we have an opioid crisis that, as we all know, that before white people started talking about it, it was still a big deal. Before, you know, and it's been there for years. And the App Foundation's been there for years. And they have a clinic that gets people not just from New Haven, but Willimantic, which is freaking far, mm-hmm. Waterbury. Because you could, uh, we're still not sure what the reason is, because they have a good program, because you can have dirty urine and still get the drugs, and they're using so methadone, which public, which more and more it's free drugs, more and more um, public health experts are saying methadone is so important for treatment with addicts. But there's a big scene out there every day with hundreds and hundreds of people. You know, when our reporter went, Chris Peake, you've seen the drug deals out front. Um, it's a block from a school, and two a couple weeks ago, one of the clients stabbed another one to death. Um, and the police well, have so many calls there, and they don't feel the kids are safe. The neighbors feel like, why is this in our neighborhood? But then the other side says it's got to be in some neighborhood, and there are a lot of addicts around here. Um, the first side says App Foundation should have more responsibility in how they manage the place. The other side says addicts are in our community. We got to deal with it. We got to deal with it humanely. But Norma, what do you think? You're from that neighborhood. How do you feel about the App Foundation? And you care about people who have addiction. What do you? What, how do you feel about this whole situation? Well... I mean, I I think it was really sad. And um, looking at the pictures, you know, it's not only people assume that it's only African Americans and Latinos who are addicted, and they don't see well, that no, there's no, a no. large not community anymore. of whites that are really addicted. Also, um, many may come from the outside in here, but the Correct. truth is that it, it's really sad. And when you're addicted, it's not that you can help yourself. You can't help yourself. Mm-hmm. So when you have a program that is willing to, because they're just barely surviving, by giving them methadone, they're just letting them survive day by day. Because it's not a cure. So what do you think, where should the clinic be and how's it being run? Who's right in this dispute? The, the neighbors and the cops say apt is really irresponsible and they should move out and they should run it differently if, if not. Well, well, and, well, well, and, now, and, apt is in Welch School, table. right? Isn't yeah. it? The yeah. old yeah. Welch School. So but it you, was a, uh, an elementary school because I went there. That was my elementary Paul, school. Paul, you just put two things on the table. One, they should move out. Or two, they should run it, or two should, they should run it right. But you did not put the word or inside of there. Is, there an, is that the alternative? Either move out or run it or run it right, or, or the status quo. Maybe the critics are wrong, and this is what we got to deal with in our you society. Can't and no, 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 no. Like, so no, two words. You're but right. But two words. 
Okay. How about this? It, it must okay. be run right. How about this? Particularly around supportive social services. How about this? Everybody's right. So if everybody's right, how do we how do we get to the solution of fixing this? Okay, right. App App Foundation. Right. People are right about what they're saying about you. You owe a bigger responsibility right. to the surrounding community yeah, no, for the work that right. you do. So how do we tackle that? The community? No. App Foundation has been here for this long. It's not going anywhere. What do you need in order to feel safe? Get everybody to the table and ask everybody what do they want to see happen? Correct. And then figure out ways to sort of make it happen. Rather don't than talk about you gotta go. That's that guy. I don't see that because Norma raised that great point yeah. when you say it's needed. You know, it's a, and it is sad when you think about it. I didn't even know it's something that can't be cured. It's something that you have to live with for the rest of your life. So now you got to look at the situation. You see it not in this neighborhood. It's going to end up in another neighborhood. And the problem is just going to move to another neighborhood. You did not fix the problem. If the problem is, look, you're right. Babs App Foundation has a responsibility to their community. And what not are they just, willing to do? That's right. Not just what to can their you do to help to this community feel Basically, like if you're going to have hundreds right. of addicts come every morning, right. to your grounds for the whole right. school day, what are you going to do about it? Correct. Two steps. How off are you going to organize right. it? Right. It's that's the question today, and they got to be willing to hear that right. and and say, you know what, we are committed to working with this community to solve this issue. Well, Mayor Hart believes that the state has rules that actually make it harder for other communities rather than the center of cities to have these kind of facilities. She also has questions about the allowing the dirty urines. But on the other hand, she's a public health advocate, so it kind of puts her on two sides of the fence. But she also questions whether their policy, there's a reason people come from so far rather than clinics closer to their communities. And she's wondering if it's because the care is better or if it's too... But we can say that permissive. about all the support of social services in this city. This city is a magnet for those... Towns and uh, those other cities and towns that don't provide these kinds of services. We have the whole. Do you think every homeless person in this city is from New Haven? Right. No, they come from surrounding towns right. because we have better access to opportunities and shelters in other places. You also, think we're not better than West Haven with shelters or East Haven or or Milford or all these other places? And Apt has been trying to have a second facility in West Haven. So you know something. But you know about- what? How many of us have spent a day with an addict? and know the custom of an addict. To me, I I find it very surprising because I've been very close to addicts Mm -hmm. and tried to help. And many times they would tell me, Norma, I don't want to do this, but I can't help myself. And to me, I can't understand. I can't understand how it's possible. First of all, they should not be given because they have that habit and they can't control it. So why is it that if you put them in a treatment program, they should be allowed to sign themselves out. Of course, they're going to want to sign themselves out when they have the desire to get the drug. Have, yeah, but I don't think yeah, this is a different kind of program. This yeah. isn't. In, uh, that's a good point. It's yeah. not. This isn't. That but that's kind why of we have them in a methadone because they let them out yeah. before they can clean them. Mm-hmm. It takes a while to get them clean. Well, I mean, my, I don't. It doesn't matter to me if they're addicts or homeless or whatever it is. We have got to start seeing people as human, right? Human first, and then treat whatever the issue is second. Human first. Correct. It doesn't matter if they're addicts. Right. It's their people first. Well, you know, there's part of this whole equation that I, I seldomly, if ever at all, hear people talking about. Like we, like you highlighted, Paul. People come and Babs. People come from other areas into New Haven, although there are clinics in their area. So the real question becomes why. And then the the one of the things that you'll realize there's a social element to it. 
And if that's the case, you could communicate with other addicts. They could do this. They, you know, they, there's they a whole second around. culture downtown. So, right. Of people yeah. Kind of zombie so out all how, day. And, so and how green and can all. app incorporate the social element in a healthier situation to make it more where you want to, where you could create that element. Maybe not. Maybe they have to go more. More than just treating and out the door. They have to understand there's a social element. There's a follow-up, if I may, mm. to to their program. And they have to address that. Because that social element is what is why we have so many people downtown on the green. And speaking of social element downtown, you know, at the Duncan Hotel, which mm. for, yeah. for a long time has been partly a SRR, single room occupancy, you know, a very cheap way to live downtown in a room, and partly a hotel people stay. It was bought, family had had it for generations, and they finally sold it to a company that's going to upscale it, going to make it an expensive, fancy place, no more SRO. Mm -hmm. They've paid to help you find new places. But they had a hearing about this. People are very upset because it's harder and harder to find affordable housing. And the mayor asked the city planning commission this week, please hold a hearing if they need any approvals so the public gets to weigh in. Now, it turns out they don't need any permission with zoning. They're allowed to get that hotel and just fix up the hotel. They're allowed to rent it out to whomever they want. There's no zoning that's supposed to be an SRO. But they might have to have a site plan approved, but legally it can't be denied because of whom they're going to rent to. But this could use that as an opportunity to let the public give more voice and hear about it. So when they talked about this, about whether to hold a hearing, some people said, way to go. You know, we got it. People are upset about this. We got to talk about it. One of the members of the city planners, Jonathan Wharton, said, bad idea. I think we do need lots of hearings about affordable housing. We're having and we should have more, but we shouldn't put an obstacle that didn't exist to a business person investing money in our city to have to take an extra step that wasn't required at all. They have the option to have a hearing, but you don't have to have a hearing about a site plan. That's supposed to be more routine. That's supposed to be like, does the way you're going to fix this door fit into rules for doors? Not what kind of housing is going to be, how many rooms, that kind of stuff. He's saying that often New Haven picks the wrong venue the wrong way the wrong to raise fight. an important issue that then makes it harder for people to do business. But then the other side is, is that we're letting people come in here and make a lot of money. So why, what's wrong with having people weigh in at every step? Any thoughts on you guys? Well, when this thing came up about roughly around two months ago when they were uh, purchasing, the group was purchasing the old hotel, I thought there was no pushback. I was a little confused when I, you know, follow up on this. I thought there was no pushback from the individuals who were... Right, the people who live there for the most part. Okay, they love living there. They say, I wish I continue living for $100 a week or $200 a week but downtown. But they were understanding, But too. they understand. They thought it was nice that, the, although nice, I mean, the new owners also knew they had to do business in this town. They're from right. Chicago, so they knew that it was a good idea to team with the housing authority to find homes for these people. But anyway, the, the tenants were not mad. They, they liked the people who ran the hotel. They actually mm -hmm. loved living there. They were sad they were leaving, but they appreciated that they got several months and they got someone to help them find a place. Mm -hmm. It was more as interesting. The, the hearing that was held publicly that aired the grievances this week was run by an older woman who works for Unite Here, which represents employees of hotels. Oh, okay. So some people put it so there was a hidden agenda that okay. they wanted to make sure this hotel had unionized jobs, which it won't. There's no mm -hmm. leverage to make them have unionized jobs. I believe in unionized jobs, but some people felt like it was a phony hearing because it wasn't, for the most part, it wasn't the tenants themselves right. who came and, and spoke. spoke. That's it was what people, I but, but yet, uh, you can argue, on the other hand, that we do need unionized jobs and that labor's agenda includes bringing up issues about the way people with power and money are making decisions and how it affects our city, so it falls under that umbrella. But yeah, that just seemed to be the, um, the subtext that was interesting. Yeah, yeah that's fine. I mean, it's fine. I mean, people could, that's, but this is, this is the beautiful thing about living in a city this size that you can, you can jump into the conversation at any 
point. Isn't it doesn't having the conversations doesn't negate the action of what's going to happen. It doesn't. In this particular instance, this hotel owners want to make some money. This is a business. This is they're not this is not Salvation Army housing. This is a hotel that they want to make into a hotel, right? It's a hotel that they want it to be a legitimate hotel. So we can't be mad at that, right? So if the tenants are like cool with being relocated to well, wherever, they were cool with like the concept. They wish that New Haven were a city where you could still have a room right in the center of town. Yes, I wish and that, that they, too. They could live there where they work or be able to go to, you know, not. <laughs> no, you don't not wish Avatar. that. I wish that. <laughs> oh, Joe lives in 360 State oh, on the, on no, the 90th floor. Yeah. No, <laughs> anyway, we you want a room? By the way, we got a, a comment in our Facebook Live from Ricky Allen drawn. Quote, okay. with regards to potential safety concerns surrounding places like App Foundation, the city needs to provide security, NH Police Department, during the hours of operation. DCI services, the Learning Who's Academy, IT training has provided services to the App Foundation, and I feel extremely passionate about recovery, mental illness, etc. The security concerns are no different than what is required for Planned Parenthood clinics, etc. NIMBY, not in my backyard, is that he thinks this is a NIMBY opposition. Oh, it probably uh, is. It probably is. I, I, it probably listen. is. Well, the neighborhood but, would but say, the why is it New Haven to that to... we live in a neighborhood that already has a lot of social problems? Why do my kids have to go to school a block from this? And Ricky would say, these are real issues that are in the community and all and, Right. And, 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 you know, we can't just keep pushing it around. I, I, I agree with him as far as pushing it around to different communities. does not make sense. However, I do have to say, uh, when it, I avoided saying before that this NHPD should be responsible for that because that's putting it back on the city. To they put a lot of calls. They say it's a high value in that neighborhood. Some days, most of what they're doing. This is, is where calls need to come in with better security. I don't care if you got. But you know, you the App Foundation was there before the school, okay. and also the same thing with some of the um, the liquor stores. If they're there before the school is built. No, no, this is no, no. This falls. No, no. This kind of fall on the gentrification, my dear. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, we cleaned up. We cleaned up the neighborhood. Well, we changed the neighborhood. I said we. The city changed the neighborhood by putting uh, a school there. Uh, I know that was a big pushback for that school, but there are the houses that were taken away as well. That was another story. Yeah, um, and but, given less than what the homes exactly, were worth but, to yeah, the yeah, poor. That was a total mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what I'm looking at is. I have a problem with saying this goes back to the city of New Haven to uh, to secure because then what what the App Foundation, in my opinion, my humble one, I'm, I'm going to emphasize, it shows as if they're only willing to treat within their confines, within their doors, and once you get out on the street, it's your problem. Yeah, they 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 I got have to, a problem with. I mean, that. I, I I mean, I still stand by what I said. You know. The App Foundation has to be willing to say, this is what we're committing to do beyond uh, our borders. Thank you. Thank you. And, the, and the neighborhood has to say, okay, we want to work with you beyond mm-hmm. your, your borders, borders. Right. to get to get to a solution. Aaron Good weighed in on Facebook Live. He says New Haven is 3% of Connecticut's population, but has 20% of the state's methadone clinics. New Haven is a progressive city. And we want everyone to get the treatment they need. But this is clearly not fair to New Haven. And this is why we need full funding of pilot payment lieu taxes now, meaning state reimbursement for nonprofits. Aaron Good, thank you for your comment. Ricky Allen Drawn, thank you for your comment. Thank you. Because you know where they commented. They commented on Pundit Friday and WNHS Radio. (laughs) Your home for community radio, 103.5 FM, live, stevennewhaven.org, where you're listening to the best pundits in the universe, minus our regular 
Right on the money, Marquise Ricks, who has a week yeah. off gone or yes. coming to North Carolina. But otherwise, you listen to Babs Rose Ivy. Justice is me. Norma Rodriguez Reyes, Harry Jose, and Mr. Joe Ugly in the studio <laughs> breaking down the week's news. Hey, I was at a press conference this week um, oh. at, at police headquarters mm-hmm. where, you know, there was this murder in July of Tyree Keyes. He was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And they still haven't arrested anyone in that case. And a lot of things they can't say publicly. From the beginning, it's been kind of known to stem from a beef between a bunch of young people from the exit eight area and from New Hallville or from some party in East Haven or something. I mean, I don't know about all the details, but anyway, the, the particular hasn't been found. So the police chief brought in the mom of Terry keys this week to police headquarters and said, we really want to find the person. The governor's approved a $50,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of a killer. Now I checked. It turns out no police officer could remember the last time in New Haven, one of these rewards actually led to an arrest, but it has in other communities say, so we want to try everything. And the police chief, Anthony Campbell, who is a minister, did a wonderful job of helping the mother who broke up really be composed and supported. And then at one point in the press conference, there was an interesting moment. I don't know if you guys noticed the article. So the police chief said, you know, it's been a couple months and no one since the murder, no one in New Hallville has come forward to cooperate with our detectives investigating this crime. And then standing right next to him were the five detectives either supervising or carrying out the investigations you guys notice anything about that why don't you look at the picture i called it of up course. for you guys yes you did yes are they, and are they all there was all quite a visual people statement of color. yes they are all people are you know the only person of color happened to be his mother and no, I was yeah, the police chief and his mother piece of and, color and the, the next police chief, chief were the five detectives who he says well, three have five, not had yeah. a single there are five oh, in okay, that picture yep. and he said those five people are standing up and they're hardworking people good people he says these people for two months have not been able to get a single person with knowledge of that crime to give us any information to hallville mm-hmm. which is two months later right august september actually mm-hmm. three months later mm-hmm. and uh and then he turns over and here they all are do you think there's any reason looking at that picture why maybe of course people can and, and this is where we say like a like work with like i mean people will be more apt to speak to someone who they see a so what do you notice about the picture out here excuse me what do you notice about the picture they're all white people so every single detective working on this case the supervisor it's, case is white according to who right. was at the press conference and, and so some people would say, and I know for a fact there are white cops who have done a great job solving Absolutely. murders involving African-Americans, African-American detectives in the past have worked on some really good cases involving whites. But it was kind of a stark image because, I mean, no one said, is this a failure of the police department that three months later they haven't got a single person to give information to a detective? Like I happen to know there are cops of color whom people did talk to right away. Mm-hmm. But the detectives on the case. Now, this might be a very cheap shot, too, because it takes a while to prove a case. There are suspects. Why is that a cheap they shot? They have to get the evidence. i, I got to interrupt you, Paul. Why is that a cheap shot? Because when you arrest someone, you want to make sure you have enough evidence right. that it's going to hold up in but court. But why is the racial end, uh, angle that you put on it a cheap because shot? Because some people would say, because I couldn't help noticing this. That's why I put the picture in. Exactly. I said, I think so this is amazing. Why, I know that we've had a thing where we just took a black district manager who was very popular in that district and put in a white district manager who the, mm-hmm. u- the neighbor is already calling for her removal right? because they feel the <laughs> lack of connection. She has a history of being abusive of people's rights. But separate from that, um, the department has gotten much wider at higher ranks. I'm not sure why that is. Not the top ranks, but sort of in that middle level. And, and I, what might be a cheap shot is that we know that there are incredibly hardworking, successful white detectives who have brought justice to African-American families. But there was just something stark about that image to me. You have what essentially is an admission of failure, that we're putting out this reward because three months I, I later, don't, I don't no know. one will talk to us. I don't and know, then you're Paul. in a black neighborhood, and I don't everybody know. is sitting see, out there I, is white. See, I, don't, I, don't, I tell you why I don't appreciate 
that vein, that thought, because uh, I, I I don't believe that you have to be a black police officer to, to solve this. That's what I'm saying. Crime. Yeah. I don't believe that. Well, because that if that's the case, right. then no of crimes course. would be solved anywhere they, in the world yeah. unless you know people of the like the yeah. the person that the crime was committed against and the people solving the crime were of like ethnicity or whatever. Right. So I, I'm not going to go with that. I don't think it's a failure. I think you know we, there's this there's a culture of don't snitch, don't tell, don't whatever, don't cooperate, don't, you know, it's us, it's them, you know, they're the enemy and whatever, whatever, whatever. So I think, I don't think that, I think this is, I remember Mel Waring told me one time when I first, former when I, chief. former police chief Mel Waring told me one time uh, when I was a new uh, police commissioner, and he says, you know, he's like, Babs, there are no perfect crimes. There are only perfect opportunities mm-hmm. to commit okay, crimes. Okay, let me ask you a question. Sorry, so Babs, it's no, not no. a concern to you that every single detective in this case is white. I think that's I, sad. I don't, I don't think it's... I don't, think it's, I, I don't, I don't see how it can happen here in New Haven. Let, let, let no, I'm, it's not a concern in terms of this particular case. I mean, I think that's a concern... <laughs> To make me say, where are the black detectives? But I'm not going to say that these white detectives could not solve this case. Right, and they might solve it, by the way. You know, they, they are working so I don't. Just, so progress. that doesn't that doesn't move me as much. I mean, see, I got to tell you what I believe is that community policing has long gone. Mm-hmm. I think people do not trust the police. They are fantastic cops. But wait, through, thank you. But this the is what I wanted is to being squeeze in. Away, the part is being run in a way that is so uh, counter yeah. to the principles of gaining the community's trust. Right. And we're thinking of whom you sent in there to run New Hallville and now that's, and who oh, you took out. I, I mean, I'm in agreement in that. I, I agree. In? But I think, I think there's another... I think we have to be sort of careful about how we crouch these kinds of things. I understand the what you're saying, Bass, of, but when I take a look race. at this picture, I don't see anyone in this picture that I would feel comfortable to say, okay, let's go, let me have, that, that, that I don't think that a witness is going to feel comfortable. And this is not a say, criticism of the individual cops in that picture. I mean, but here's, here's my it's thing. But we, never, but we don't say this anywhere else but except in the police. Like, if you go to the hospital right now, there's a good chance you're going to have a white physician. You yeah. don't get to say, I'm going to wait around for the black physician. Right. I'm going to wait for the white <laughs> Oh, the black your nurse. point's well taken. There's no question that you shouldn't have to be black to be in a black neighborhood yeah. cop. You should not Understood be white in a white neighborhood. Well, let me, but does let this me feel get extreme to you at all? Does because feel Joe's talk too much already. I, but I, wow. it doesn't. No, but it doesn't. I agree with Babs because um, you think about it. Why did you notice that, Paul? Right? That's the problem. That we're, we're, and we're actually molding our society where we have to actually look at color in order to feel that there's justice done. Why do you look at it, Paul? Right, we would feel it's just as done if there's an arrest, and I think there might be an arrest, and that's why I'm saying, was this dicey? The reason I looked at it, because I know the undercurrent. I know that the first day people who were privy to that crime talked to black police officers, and then they're standing up three months later and says not a single person will come forward to detectives in this case. Now, maybe that's not true. Maybe there's more to it. And I agree with you, Harry. It's a very dangerous slope, and I agree with what Babs is saying. That's why I brought it up, because I'm just saying... The the undercurrent is is developed by everybody... This movement in society where you're actually, you want to segregate people. Oh, this is coming from a conservative, seriously? I mean, I don't agree no, with that. He's got a good point, though, that it's no, it no, is no, dangerous. No, to, one second. But I still feel this department has moved so backwards to it, or military-type policing, and so backwards in terms of any kind of 
respect for the First and Fourth Amendment and whom they're sending into what communities. And I do believe it's tricky that you don't just have to sign black people, black neighbors, white people, white neighbors. But I think it's gotten extreme. I'm and just going to say this much. In the, in, in, in the environment that we're in right now, where it is very polarized, let's just be very honest about what's going on right now in our society. And what's going to happen is when, like you said, you're going to have information going to a black cup. People are going to feel comfortable to say, hey, you know, this much, this guy might understand that I live here and he's not might slip that out to to the person who I took, you know, who I drop information on. Let alone somebody who don't look like they live there or even concerned about if I live here because they have no communication, no connection to the community. Like I'm a little so, concerned. So, so the reason show them a little concerned. The reason I brought up concerns, I look at that picture and I know, for instance, there's one cop in there who's mm -hmm. done such a good job investigating murders. Right. He happens to be white. A lot of people trust him. He's a very good detective. Okay. So I am concerned about like picking out individuals that way. Mm -hmm. But I just seen the decisions this and, department and how, has made. But how do but you stop I think the polarization? Because stop the polarization. I think you do if by, you by, by but if going the, back to your own corners. I'll tell you how. If this police department had re-embraced the philosophy for top-down, you knew that if cops who abuse trust every day are not going to be promoted and sent into communities and that there are repercussions Thank when you. the ongoing trampling of First and Fourth Amendment rights of our citizens gets not just excused and covered up by our top brass department, but then rewarded. So but, that the whole message but, is that and it's I hear, us against them. I hear what you're saying, Paul, but that has nothing to do with this particular... That that doesn't have anything to do yes, with this. it does. This. It's an overflow. I don't think so. That's the I, overflow of it. Because I, because I... You know what? Listen. I, I understand a, what you're saying, Babs. It should not be... I understand what you're saying. No, no, no. Oh, Harry, I, we should I be have working served, towards... I have, however... I have served way, as a police commissioner, and I have, I've had a brother who was a detective. I've served. I understand. I get it. Listen, and I was having this conversation with uh, with uh, with uh, Assistant Chief Reyes when we were smoking cigars at the All Shop a couple of weeks ago. Uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> snitches get stitches. <laughs> uh, you know what? If the police department has a problem with, and, and they've always had a problem with recruitment, because there's a problem with recruitment. Let's start, we got to start there, right? Recruitment Big is problem. the issue. It's gone backwards and advancement. So what is the problem? Well, with the problem is because you know what? They hold different standards. Thank you. That's why we Thank have you. problems with recruitment. But Thank actually, you. Norma, I don't know if that's true. I know I cases on the ground where they've been tougher. That that I don't know if it's. I think there's something deeper going All on. All right, let me ask you a question, Paul. You get the question in front of you. Have you ever smoked marijuana? Right. And then how do you answer? How that? do you answer? No, that? but you could be on the. I think you okay, could be so on it. How many that, years that, 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 ago? No, how no. many years ago? No, if you put that in, but white people smoke marijuana as much as black and Latino people. But uh, but you know the what? Chances are, if you're from the hood, <laughs> they're not the really. Chances are like, come on. Yeah, yeah but that that's not the. But that's not the, the suburbs. That's not the problem. That's not the problem. The problem is, <laughs> have you been convicted or whatever, caught up in some stuff? That's the problem. Yeah, you know. And Joe just played to the stereotype there. Asking that question, you could ask it to both whites, blacks, Latinos. Did you smoke marijuana? That has nothing to do with. I think Harry's no, right, Joe. No, 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 no,
type techniques that say arresting is a first resort or then last. They give you the rhetoric that's a last. But every time we've reported on a case where they arrest as a first resort, they justify it and never have any kind of reassessment for their cops. But that's a that is that is an internal police issue that the public has to have outcry about. And there is none. I don't. I, I think there is. I th- I see people protesting all the time about Seven. the police. Yeah. How many? How many? How many do we need? Seven thousand? Eight thousand? <laughs> well, I think we need to remind people that are listening to Punnett Friday. WNHH <laughs> Radio, your home community. We want people five FM live stream. We just got a few minutes. The police department also this week approved a general order. They're going to have body cameras, so every cop's going to wear a body camera. It's finally happening. We're catching up with the rest of the world and the rest of the country. And when they, the new policy, the police union had an objection. They felt that a police officer should be able to mute the sound on a body camera no. during an incident. For instance, if there's a cop is consulting a supervisor or what to charge, they say, we don't want that conversation to be heard. The city insisted that that can't be the case because state law is making it clear that they have to be done. The sound has to be on so that nobody thinks that there's less than a complete picture being shown. But the union did get them to change one thing. They're worried about supervisors. It gets back to the union stuff and why we need unions. They're worried supervisors are going to use video to target an officer to settle a beef. So they added a sentence saying supervisors shall not review recordings for the purpose of searching for instances of department members committing violations of law or policy unless such reviews are related to specific complaints. So if someone tells supervisor, hey, that cop's really been harassing me, then the supervisor could look at the body cam and look at the video. But if the supervisor's kind of saying, this guy's getting me mad, and maybe for a good reason, like I think this he's playing funny, I want to review his actions through video, or you know, he insulted me, or I want to get my friend into his job, so I'm going to look at the, find him on something that protection is in there. Do you guys feel good, bad about the um, decisions the commissioners made in saying no to the first, yes to the second? Uh, what are other people doing with this? How are other How are other states and municipalities? Well, in the state, they're saying you have to keep handle. the sound on. Well, then, then, then that's what it is, right? <laughs> you just have to keep the sound in. Right. And uh, and I'm sure. Watch, we'll see abuse of this. We'll see somebody, somebody. There'll be somebody who'll get around this. It, right, it, it makes no sense to shut off the the sound because it's it's almost saying that you can't be ab- abusive with your words. No, I think they're saying. I mean, it's interesting. They're kind of presenting as helping the citizen, which I'm skeptical of because they're saying, "Let's say, should I should I charge the guy with murder?" They don't want that on the video. But I, I, why? I why wouldn't we yeah. want to hear the deliberation? Sense. Why wouldn't we want to hear how they? Um, assess the situation in the moments in terms of what charges ought to be yeah. levied against somebody. Yeah, Why wouldn't we want to hear that? And you know, change sounds real quick as we're almost at the end here. Um, Puerto Rico, still 80% of the island remains without electricity. Boy, it's different than Florida reports. and Texas. I saw 76 today. I saw Washington Post actually had it at, a, at less. So it all depends what news broadcast. No, it doesn't depend. There is no, there is no, there is no difference in the newscast. The the majority of the island is without power. How about that? that Seventy-five, I don't care if it's twenty percent. There's people still without. So now, you know what? The thing about that is a blanket. But you know what? To actually, what the island was. Okay, before. So let me ask you a question, Harry. Because the iron, the island's grid so let, was fried way before. The no, hurricane. you see, that's that. That's the nonsense that we're oh, coming up with. Nonsense. Oh, okay, it's okay. Not let nonsense. me ask you the no, question, the then, truth. Harry. Let me just ask you this much: Does it make a difference if it's eighty percent of the population that's not without electricity, no. or if it's twenty percent of the population that without yes, community, and the twenty percent of the population 
out of nursing homes that need to have the electricity running properly for to serve or hospitals or, or children hospitals. or I mean, you know, listen. What, I want everybody to have electricity. Oh, now we want everyone. You, I, no, no, I'm no. I'm just telling you that. And, you know, at the end of the not, day, you're looking at this thing. Not, is it just because you could say, oh, yeah, it's not 80%. It's not the, it's I, tell you, I tell you what bothers me. Paul, I'll tell you what bothers me about this whole thing. Is that the United States will run around the world. And this is the United States. We'll run around the world talking about democracy and decency and 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 human aid and all that. And then we and then we have opportunity to show the world this is how we we walk the talk and we fail people. You got people in this country who don't even understand that Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory. I I agree, but they don't even understand that Puerto Ricans are American. We have we have a president of the United States who thinks Puerto Ricans are Mexicans. Right. Oh no! That was oh fake no no no! News, I'm sorry. To okay, well here's real news. Well here's fake real news, news that came he out of his mouth. That. Here's real news. He spoke to the president of the Virgin Islands. Yeah, that was a mistake. Oh, we calling it a mistake? How come he would he didn't speak to I the president? How come he didn't speak? I'm sorry, Paul. But it. how come he didn't speak to the president of Texas? Or the president of Florida. Okay. Convenient mistake. I'm actually with Harry on that one. I think sometimes we go a little overboard when he I'm, makes slips. How come he when makes, he makes slips? But, okay. So every 20 minutes, we're just supposed to look no, over No, no, no. I think he does some horrible things, including some of his handling <laughs> in Puerto Rico. Paul. I just think the fact of. Where is the president wrong. of. Texas. I'm with I'm with Biden. He has no he has Biden? no understanding of governance. Chiefs. How come he never How come he never made the mistake of the president of Texas? Because he cares more about Texas okay, and where people are. Oh, oh thank really? You, thank Puerto you. Now we're getting, but I want to ask Norma: Are we seeing the influx in the significant numbers of Puerto Ricans relocating to New Haven, becoming part of our community? Can they even what get out? The status? Yeah, people have been coming They're somewhat. Coming How Good. much is that happening? The Puerto Ricans that are leaving are basically. The ones that have, have family over here, with means, mm-hmm. and they don't own property over there. So, how much are we seeing, Norma? Are we seeing a big influx? Well, uh, they mentioned something about a couple of hundred here in New Haven Already? that have come. There yes, a couple hundred new New Haveners. Yes, yes, yes. That's a especially big deal. in the in, in the Board of Education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how many coming. new students do they have? They have about forty, I think, thirty-five, oh. forty new students from Puerto Rico. Oh, good. That's and awesome. I think they we are a welcoming this city. Whole, this has caused them to come up with um, the, the interesting ways they, to they be able be, to deal you know, with the new influx. Mm-hmm. They can't be what deported. That's the good part. Of I that. know. <laughs> and you know what? I'd like them to go to states where that we could change those ridiculously red states to blue states. And then I hope the people in Italy, Puerto Rico, will tell their president. <laughs> They should all go to Florida. This way they can win Florida. Oh, then Florida, Pennsylvania, a couple of other places. And New Haven. This topic continues in the next, what is the hour, sir? One o'clock. In the one o'clock hour, we're between Harry Dross and myself. Well, that's not to be missed. Oh, absolutely. And in the meantime, thank you for joining us on Dateline New Haven. Thanks to Pundits Babs Rolls Ivy, Norma Rodriguez Reyes, Harry Dross, and Joe Ugly. Marquisha Ricks, we love you and looking forward to your yes. return. Love you, Marquisha. Safe next week. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. Oh, we haven't been here in a long time. Now we know what it's like to be free. We just got to remember to book our flight. I don't know what it's like to be free. Well, book your flight and find <laughs> out. Find out, Bab. You want freedom? Book your flight you and fly free, free with you us all weekend long at WNHH <laughs> New Haven's home. I'm sorry, Paul. For community radio.